emphasis is Genesis 16, 13. And it reads, She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. You might have caught a little bit of this in my intro, but um, and maybe you can now understand why, but the only radio station that was played in my parents' car or in my parents' house was a Christian contemporary radio station by the name of WFRN in South Bend, Indiana. They played all the classic Christian contemporary music. Uh, Michael Card gave me a high level of overconfidence in my ability to use, speak words in, in Hebrew uh, based off his song El Shaddai. Stephen Curtis Chapman would teach me that there was more to this life. But there was one particular song that caught my seven-year-old attention. And it was a song by For Him called I Want to Be a Man that you would write about. Now, to be fair, in 1991, gender-inclusive language around spiritual things was not a thing. But, so I'm gonna read the lyrics, but understand the context. And the song goes, from the time time began, you always chose a man to lead the people safely by your way, to be a voice and echo what you say, like David or Abraham. Your word was full of such men. And if the Bible had no closing page and still was being written to this day, I want to be a man that you would write about a thousand years from now that they could read about your servant of choice who found favor, a man who heard your voice. The second verse would go on to say, generations away, it's my prayer. They will look back and say, oh, to have that kind of faith and love. What a solid man of God he was. Now, I have to tell you, I was enthralled by this idea, okay? In Berrien Springs in the 1990s, we sang, lift up the trumpet and loud let it ring. Jesus is coming again so often, so urgently, that at the age of five years old, I got on my knees and prayed to God, please give me enough time to get a driver's license. It felt like he was coming at any minute. I was literally taking my seven-year-old hand and measuring to see if any cloud was about that size. If, I, 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 the idea that we had more time, the idea was shocking and exciting. And not even that we had more time, but that even though I missed the first round pick of the Old Testament and the second round pick of the New Testament, that there could be a third round pick of Bible character draft where my life would be so important to the gospel that I would be noted like an Esther, like us at Abigail, and that was thrilling. Instead of the pressure of just being perfect until Jesus came, I thought about a life with meaning, with redemption that was important and valuable for generations to come. Clearly, I was a dramatic child. But you know, I think this new lease on life turned into what was honestly literally and figuratively a very performative time in my Christian walk. Now, I am not trained nor licensed to make such declarations, but in retrospect, 
I think that my behavior carried on in such a way from Genesis to Revelations that one might say I was exhibiting symptoms of a lesser known issue called disassociative Bible personality disorder. Let me explain. When I felt like I had to speak truth to power, I acted like I was Esther. If I felt very unfairly persecuted, I acted as if I was Job. And that was like, you know, middle school through high school. I mean, all of those years, those were my Job years. When I was the enthusiastic optimist in the face of the majority of pessimists, I felt like I was Caleb, saying, we can take it, we can go, God is with us. And then, even before I had a house, and I just wanted to tell people where I was drawing the, lawn in the, uh, the line in the sand, I would say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, okay? I would lose my cool often, but I never cut off anyone's ear like Peter, so I felt quite justified and proud of myself. Now, to be clear, there's nothing wrong with wanting to emulate people of faith in the Bible. There's many great lessons. But what I've come to realize is that I was so focused on being the center of my story and not looking at how God was working out miracles in my life, that he was not the main character in my story. And unlike Paul, who made his transition to manhood and put childish things away, I kept up these Bible charades well past what the general conference would deem the age of a young adult. Now, you know, we talked about it a little bit before, this accidental megachurch that I started. But I know that it was part of an experience that led me to what I call my digital Damascus road, okay? One, we, 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 at the time we did it a lot more, but every Friday night we would have Vespers, live Vespers, and I know there's an overabundance of online Christian content, but at the time there wasn't anything. And um, a one, Claudia Marin Allen, she's, um, she's, she's preached here before. I've known her for a lot of her life. She's younger than I am. She preached a sermon about Hagar that shook me to my core, that I still refer to and think about to this day, and it's almost been five years. Now, I am not a literary anointed expert in the way that Claudia is. I'm not gonna surmise her sermon. I'm also, based on the Sabbath school lesson that we were learning with Todd, um, not a theologian, because he kept saying exegesis, eisegesis, and I'm pretty sure the last five letters of that word are not actually Jesus as I think of Jesus. So please, Hear my perspective as more of a testimony than a declarative uh, word for you to apply. But thinking about Hagar, and because I am not a theologian or a literary expert, I really see the story of Hagar and her mistress, um, Sarai, as what myself as a pseudo-modern biblical anthropologist might call the real housewives of Canaan, okay? Now, you have to understand, Hagar, and why Hagar's story is so powerful is because she's the slave, literal and, and figurative slave of Sarah, Sarai. Sarai, if we're gonna use this analogy of the real housewives of, of Canaan, is 
The woman in the center of the opening episode, holding open the scroll, full, full frontal, not full, excuse me, full, 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 in full view as a center character with maybe Lot's wife off to the side, but in, in the pan, right? So she is wealthy by virtue of her husband. She is, well, we would come to find to be the mother of many generations leading to the savior. She's also so outrageously beautiful that her husband tells her to say she's his sister so that he won't get killed by powerful men. Like, that's who Sarah is. Now, I even imagine that the Canaan equivalent of TMZ brings their camels and donkeys around to draw pictures of Sarai on, on, on papyrus paper and distribute that to the commoners. That's the kind of life Sarai had, okay? But what's fascinating to me is that the Bible does not record a single uh, interaction with Sarai, this you know, powerful woman in her context, that's directly with an angel from the Lord. However, Hagar, the slave, has this experience. And much, even if she, without, that, without that experience, she also never gets the opportunity to give God a name in the way that Hagar gets to give God a name and that it is recorded in, in the scriptures. Let's just go back for a second, it, back into Genesis 16 and listen to the, the story where Hagar uh, meets the angel. Now, you know, the background is Sarah, Sarai, still Sarai, has all the things, but she doesn't have a baby. So her bright idea, and maybe it's not her bright idea, it's just the first we come across it that I can see in the Bible, is take the slave, you have a baby with her, Abram, I, then I will have a family, and I can add to my storyline on these real housewives of Canaan, right? And then she, and, it, and they agree, they all, well, I, let's assume someone who's a slave does not have the right to agree, but it happens that Hagar, Abraham takes Hagar as a wife for only one verse, because then they continue to refer to her as the slave. And she gets pregnant. And once she gets pregnant, Sarai, who has chosen this path, feels like Hagar is angry with her. Now, I've always heard it in the sermons that, it's, it's, and often by men, that it's almost like Hagar thinks she's better than Sarai because she is now pregnant and Sarai is not able to bear a child yet. But you know, I've been pregnant now a few times. And the reality is you're really angry with everybody responsible for the situation. And in this situation, Sarai is responsible for the, for the discomfort, for the feet. There's no record that Hagar is now living in luxury and relaxing. She's still the slave on top of being pregnant. So I just want to counter that previous rhetoric that I've always heard that Hagar was now thinking she had made it and was probably just acting like a reasonable pregnant woman, okay? So, amen, okay. <laughs> With that said, let's go back to the chapter. She's now Hagar pregnant, an Egyptian in Canaan, in, her, in a foreign land, has decided to run away. That's, 
to have been the most vulnerable person in her context and to still have chosen the wild over where she was. Let's, I'll just let you, I'll just let you think on that. Back in uh, verse seven, it says, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was, it was the spring that was beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah, uh, slave of Sarai, where, where have you come from? You just said, you know my owner. I don't understand why you're asking me where I came from. Um, and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The, the, the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much so that you will be too many, they will be too many to count. The, the angel of the Lord also said to her, you are pregnant and you will give birth to a son. He his name shall be Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name, and this is the text of emphasis. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me, she said. I have now been seen by the one who sees me. Now, Claudia, being the brilliant mind that she is, parallels this example of a slave woman, an African slave woman at that, having an encounter with an angel in her despair, in her uh, moment of oppression and, 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 and distress, and giving name to a God that speaks to God understanding and seeing what seems to be have, having been forgotten. And Claudia, truly and, and wisely and more beautifully than I could ever do, expressed how this was a name not often used in um, the more general Christian context. It's not, it wasn't a big part of, you know, it's always um, Jehovah Jireh, you know, Jehovah Nisi, like it's, it's all these other words that came out of the uh, is, Israelite experience. And they, they needed to be hidden. But in the moments of oppression, knowing that there's a God that sees us, that that is critically important. And, you know, and I just want to break down a few things that, as I've constantly thought about this message and this idea, that really stood out to me about what these encounters with God look like. One, God comes to where you are. Uh, in, in a couple chapters later on, when she... Uh, uh, I think it's uh, verse, not chapter, chapter 19, after um, Israel is born, the, uh, uh, Isaac is born, um, Sarai no longer has a need for Hagar and her son. So she's like, send them away. I don't want them here anymore. I now have what I want. And so she's, Hagar now, not necessarily of her own choice, is now left to fend for herself again in the wild. And again, in these moments of isolation, the angel returns to her and, and spares her life and gives her that hope again. So there's a repeated theme, at least with Hagar, and if you look at other Bible characters, that you can see how God appears. And, and so these are the three things I took away from that. One, God comes to you where you are, all right? God gives relevant and timely instruction. You are pregnant. You will have a... 
you will, um, you will go back. But lastly, God gives a hope and a future. And therefore, the promise um, was given to her at that time. You know, the more I thought about the story of Hagar, the more I actually thought, maybe, sure, it could be a expression that is more tied to a particular experience, that of being marginalized, that that could be the name that I give God or use for God. But I really thought maybe it's more simplistic than that. Maybe it is that we each have an opportunity based on our experiences with God to give him a name that speaks to exactly how he showed up in our lives. So almost exactly three years ago, I was back here preaching at Advent Hope, and I'm sorry that this is here because there's been so many other advancements, and if I could figure out how to use a teleprompter, we wouldn't have the pulpit, which is, I guess, a thing of the pre-pandemic past. Um, but I preached here, and then, you know, a casual two weeks later, the world shut down. Um, and <laughs> it, this, God willing, this will not happen again. Um, and you know, quite frankly, I'm a homebody. I live in Jersey. I didn't have to commute anymore. I didn't have to take these kids, get them up, get them dressed, just from the waist up. Some of these things of coronavirus virtual living were not that hard for me at first. And I, quite frankly, also stopped watching the news during the last administration. So, you know, a lot of what was happening was not sitting with me all day long in a way that was um, too uncomfortable to bear, although it was a very grave and serious time. Um, and, you know, we, my husband went to uh, Trader Joe's and he finally was like, there's nothing here, we, we have to sojourn um, to Maryland to be with my sister-in-law. And even that was better, she has a beautiful house and my kids could run around because one of the things, and maybe it's more common for everyone in New York, we are on the top floor, there's people on the bottom floor, there's nowhere to, no one's going outside, everyone hates each other because your kids are running on top of their kids, no one's sleeping. So we just left, okay? And probably about a month into our time in Maryland, my one-year-old, who was the only child I wasn't worried about, I had the three-year-old in virtual school acting like she was paying attention to Zoom, she was not. I had the second grader who was trying to learn multiplication, it was, it was very stressful. And the one-year-old, you know, she just kind of took care of herself. Until one weird day, my, my sister-in-law, God bless her, is a, is a doctor. And, you know, Joel had been acting a little different and, and wasn't able to swallow food. So she looked down in her throat and there was something back there, pardon me, that she thought was suspicious. Now, I have not seen a human that doesn't have my last name now in like four months, okay? We've been in the house. And when, even when we came to Maryland, we were like in the car, no bathroom stops, like all the way down. So I call my doctor in New Jersey and I'm trying to do this virtual visit. And he's like, I think you have to go to urgent care just so they can look at her. And I was like, humans outside? What do you, what do you, what do you mean? So we go to the urgent care and the woman is asking me all sorts of like really disturbing, concerning questions. And ultimately, um, she, and, and then she started like opening the door like this much and asking questions and be like, okay, I'll be right back. And then 
back and forth, back and forth. And I'm like, this is really strange. Now, granted, it's my first human interaction during a pandemic. I don't know what's normal anymore. And she says, you know, I'm not going to call an ambulance, but I want you to go directly to the children's hospital right now. Your daughter needs to be admitted. And I was like, outside, outside? Like, another place with more sick people? Long story short, we get to the hospital, they admit her, they are in, we're like almost in a bubble room. They are concerned that my child has, and literally, and I only knew who Fauci was because of the condition that we were in, but they brought in this man who could have been the attending to Fauci when he was a resident or intern, who was like the foremost infectious disease doctor in pediatric health in America. And he, could, he was completely flabbergasted by what was going on. And that's when I got scared. I was like, when Fauci's boss cannot figure out what's happening with your one-year-old, you're in trouble. So we spent a month at that hospital. And I hope no one went through this personally, but there was, I mean, at least with children, you could be one parent or one adult at a time. You know, there was a lot of people who were sick as adults who were by themselves because of all of the limitations with people and, and, and the coronavirus. But what that meant was, in order for my husband to come up, I had to put my daughter in the little, you know, crib cage and run down three halls, wait for the slowest elevator ever, run down to the lobby where we would just like high five handoff, he would run back so that he could spend some time with her. I had never felt more alone in my life and helpless. And you know, she's just looking at me like, what are you gonna do? She can't talk, I can't figure it out. And you know, these foremost doctors are like a little hopeless or clueless. And you know, but the truth is this, the story is not about my daughter, who fortunately is still alive. We're still figuring out um, what it could be, what, what the long-term uh, realities are gonna be for her. She's growing, so we're praising God for that. Uh, but I will tell you that during a time that was so gut-wrenching, I think I had what's closest to my own Hagar experience. So when I was alone, God sent angels in the forms of friends from New Jersey. The church sent us Uber Eats cards so that my kids could eat because I forgot about the other two. Um, I, the, the, there's a mom's Christian fellowship that meets here. Uh, I would join now because I was by myself and over, over Zoom. And, you know, they saw me completely covered up with like thousands of blankets and sweatshirts and because it's freezing cold in the hospital, even though it was summertime. And they sent me this blanket that I, I felt like Joseph when he got the, like, it just, it was, it was I felt the love. Um, God also sent, after a month in the hospital, they, and even though she was developing more symptoms and issues, the, the hospital in, um, in DC said, you know what, we cannot figure it out. You need to take her home um, and hopefully connect with specialists. And I was so, like besides myself, I mean, and you know, I had had a friend, because everyone's like, oh, I can help, I can do this, I can do that. And I had this woman that I didn't know so well, and she's like, Saba, you can't give up. You know, can you just send me like a little blurb about what's going on with your daughter? And it was probably like my last ounce of energy. I sent her 
this little note, a little, literally like four lines. You know, she's has no neutrophils. She's on a feeding tube, not eating. We don't understand all these different things. Um, it's fortunately not you know leukemia, but some other uh, failure. And um, she said, you know, give me some time. So I'm pretty much just I don't know, just taking my daughter home and gonna leave it in God's hands. So maybe about two hours later, this is a Friday, and if you've ever been in a hospital, you're working in a hospital, you know that unless something really awful, 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 awful and emergent is happening to you, there's nothing happening on the weekends, okay? It's, don't go to a hospital on the weekend, just wait till Monday, there's just, there's nothing happening there, unless it's extremely urgent. Um, and so, uh, I get an email Friday night, from my, my friend forwarded to me, he says, you're gonna get a call tomorrow morning, Saturday morning. I'm like, huh. Go back to read the note. There's my note, the note above it, she sends, it says, dear mom, this is my friend's baby. I would never want this to happen to my kids. She really needs help. Next email I see go up says, see below. The next email above that says, our chief, scientific officer will call her tomorrow. I hope we can help. And it was signed the CEO of the most decorated, best children's hospital in the world. And sure enough, the next morning, I got a phone call from a man who was not even, it was, it was Sabbath, and we know what that means, but he was actually on a sabbatical, and he took time and spent two hours talking through painfully listening about our whole process and, and, I, and I, you know, I told him that you know, they're sending us home and we've been calling around the country and the specialists that she needs to see because there's about four or five of them are saying, you know, maybe five months till you can get an appointment. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't know if she's gonna last that long. He said, can you come to Boston in two weeks? I'll set everything up for her to see everybody. I, I think I'm still living off of the boost of that moment. And I want to be clear, you know, we, we went there and it was a fantastic experience. I, every specialist that we saw, saw her in person. That had been another hindrance of the pandemic, people seeing them over Zoom and I'm like, what did you really, what did you see over Zoom? Um, but we, we, we went there and to me, that whole experience was, was my friend, the one who said, I want to help you showed me a true, real model of what it looks like to take our problems to Jesus. Jesus takes them to the Father. In this case, she took it to the mother. The mother took it directly to the source to get the problem done. And, and it changed things. I could have maybe emailed the woman if I thought that way, but it was because of the relationship. It's because of the son. It's because of the father and their access that, that, that supplies our needs in very real and direct ways. And you know, that whole experience, and, and you know, I, I'm sure for every person in this room, there's many testimonies of a very hard time, and we were very blessed. We are here, you know, there's a lot of people whose testimony that is not true for, so I have no, um, nothing to complain about. But I will tell you, the name that emerged for me uh, when I thought about how untethered I was, how disconnected I felt, and how God showed up for me, the name that if you see my Bible, it says Saba connects to Jehovah Wi-Fi.
And from and I and it's it's funny, but <laughs> it really to me, and it may be refined, because I was like, well now I'm leaving the house. Should it be Jehovah Cellular? You know, because I want this to go with me everywhere. But the sense that I have that God at all times keeps me powered, uh, 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 filled without any sense of how that's even happening. You see no infrastructure for how God is doing it other than that, it, other than that it's God doing it. Now, I am not saying that you should now adopt my name and that's who God is. That's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm praying is your potential takeaway is that you go back into your life. And it took me years, even after kind of even having this idea born out of a story of a slave woman named Hagar, to kind of come to my own crystallizing or beginning to crystallize of who God is to me. My, my charge is for you to go into your life, into your journey, and to center God in, in the work that he's doing and the name that speaks to how he's shown up in your life. And if you preach about it, preach about it. But if you, if you don't preach about it, let it guide you as your own special connection to God. Because I believe if he could be there for Hagar, if he can show up for me, he will do that for everyone. So thank you very much and have a happy Sabbath. <laughs>